Jay Guru, everyone. Jay Guru. And welcome to episode 9.5 of Autobiography of a Yogi. And we have the full team here today with Priyank, Mike, and Chris. Lucky Hello. to all be here together. Um, so, should we just jump straight on in? Should we do it? I'm seeing some nods. Let's go. Okay. So we have um, a scene with Mukunda and Master Mahashai, and they're walking hand in hand uh, around his school, which I found quite um, curious. Uh, I know we've talked about on the episode before about, you know, holding hands is quite customary in India, but I didn't know whether this is something that saints did often. Do you know if they do? Frank's nodding and shrugging. No reason. Potentially. Not well, yes, exactly. Yeah. So there they were walking hand in hand. And uh, Guruji says, My joy was dimmed by the arrival of a conceited acquaintance. I was going to say just about the walking hand in hand. Like, how amazing would that be with all the energy sort of flowing through them? You know, they're mm. magnets for, for God's energy. And, you know, how blessed would you be just to be able to touch one of their hands, but the two of them together? To, I just wondered, wow, that must have been a real sort of coming together of, of you know, this, this kind of magnetic flow of love, you know, between them. So um, not just like a sort of like a cold, wet, sweat, pammy hand or something that, uh, you know, you, you sort of don't want to hold. It must have been such a such a warm embrace and yeah, such a loving moment. Mm, yeah that's very perceptive Chris yeah um so yeah he says his joy was dimmed by this arrival of this acquaintance and Priyank had quite a, a lovely point on this yeah so it says dimmed um but that's just like a very light um disappointment as it were um it's not like a resentment or like any negative feelings so just saying that the elevated joy that he or they were in holding hands and walking around sharing that fellowship was slightly lessened um and uh i think that's a really good lesson on being indifferent it's not that uh you know you're not at all impacted or influenced by external events or your environment or your um company that you keep but that you shouldn't be so um, moved, like emotionally moved. And I remember in in the recent monks visit, we had um, um, brother brother quoted the Bhagavad Gita, and he and he said um, he was quoting like Krishna's indifference to both um, Duryodhana and Arjuna at that um, like really key juncture in the Mahabharata where he. Said, he was essentially said to both of them, like, one of you can have my army and one of you can have me. And Arjuna, without like without even thinking about it, he said, I'll have you. And Duryodhana was like, fantastic, you know, I've got the best uh, best choice. Yeah. But, um, but then in the, later in the, in the Bhagavad Gita, he actually says, I am impartial toward all beings. To me, none is hateful, none is dear, but those who give me their heart's love are in me as I am in them. So, you know, Krishna in that, um, in that, uh, with those people, he was impartial to like most evil of evil people, uh, Duryodhana and the most saintly of saintly people and his disciple Arjuna. So it was a quite, I know, long drawn out parallel, but I thought, I, I thought it was a good one seeing as um, we were, we were there recently. Mm. It's also a good lesson for us as well, isn't it? You know, if Guruji always talks about, you know, having that inner stability. Um, so if your joy cannot be diminished, but just dimmed, that's that's a halfway house, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so, yes, this person comes and um, burdens them with another lengthy discourse. We've had so many of these, haven't we? <laughs> and I always look forward to them when they come because they always come with a lot of comedy from uh, Guruji's writing. They always make me laugh. Um, yes, yeah, so um, Master Mahashai says to young Mukunda, oh, you know, see, this man doesn't please you. And it's one of those mm. highlighted moments where the, the saint is so in tune that nothing needs to be said or spoken. He just knows straight away. 
Uh, yeah, excuse my voice today a bit. Uh, it's a bit rough. Um, but my, I, I was always wondering when I when I sort of hear the few scenes like this of Mr. Um, Master Mahashaya that are a bit comedic, uh, almost on purpose comedic. And I was always wondering what's the purpose of of this. And uh, I think part of it is just uh, to show how they they had an understanding between each other on a higher level. Right, they were they were just navigating the world, and there's like people coming in, and I I wouldn't be surprised if they were even. He said they whispered, maybe they were talking to each other telepathically or something. And I think um, Guruji also wants to make a point here to uh, to make this entertaining and get a chuckle out of the reader because I I don't know maybe it's just me being European that I always see sarcasm everywhere. But when I read, for example, my joy is dimmed, that that could mean much worse than it does. <laughs> <laughs> and and <clears throat> spellbound by his own monologue um, in mm. everyday today modern language that we, we might say um, someone likes the sound of their own voice in the sense they <clears throat> can't stop speaking and we've all uh, experienced that. Mm. But it's a nice way of saying it, isn't it? Poetic. and it's really funny <laughs> yeah. like i laughed when i read it it was <laughs> so comical uh, <laughs> but then master mahashai goes on to say that um you know he's, he's spoken to divine mother um about it and <laughs> she realizes our sad predicament which is uh, i found hilarious but also you know it, it goes to show the unity of them both it's not just oh I, I see that you 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 feel sad about this and you're in a predicament it's a it's a shared feeling of um yeah yeah what do you think this um the the comedic element really vanished for me um into this this bit where it got me thinking about the philosophical element of um you know divine mother having that he's having a first person conversation with divine mother and He's saying she realizes <clears throat> our sad predicament. Um, but, you know, the, the philosophical argument in my mind was, uh, did she not create the uh, <laughs> predicament <laughs> or was she just a witness to it as Makunda and Master Mahasha are? Because it's written here as if she was a witness and she's like, she's surprised as well. But God, you know, God is knowing and omnipresence um, so it's this whole thing about fate and free will and um here it's implied that it was like um yeah uh, what do you guys think mike <clears throat> i think uh it's funny um the, the perspective of a saint you know really bad things can happen you can be sick you can have relatives being on the verge of dying and stuff and you go like that's fine. We can fix that. But if somebody walks up to you and wastes your time by talking a lot, that's really terrible. It's like one of the worst things that can happen to you. I find I find I find that hilarious. A kick, a kick in the shin is worse, isn't it, Mike? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't hasn't happened in the book here. But <laughs> <clears throat> I was just pondering on your question, Priyank, about you know, divine mother and wouldn't she know? But I guess. It, it says she realizes our sad predicament. And I, I feel like I take that word as like she knows rather than it's like a surprise of, oh, I've had this realization. Um, and it brings home that point of, well, we have to ask for help to be given it a lot of times. And, you know, the saint having that conversation is that that nudge and, and ask to the divine, isn't it, for, for some assistance, which she does give. And um, yeah, like I think that that's a, a really good point as well. That we tend to go to Divine Mother, ask for help when some really bad things happen. But this is like a like an everyday situation, and they're still in tune with Divine Mother, anyways, right? Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, it's how how Guruji says. You know, we should bring God into all seasons of our life right that includes the uh, the moments where you're caught in awful moments of people spell being spellbound by their own monologues so yeah she she promises to um 
uh, help them basically and um, as soon as they get to the red house he says that she's going to remind her of some urgent business and um, yes <laughs> Guruji says his eyes were glued to the sight of salvation <laughs> and um, alas when they got there that exact event happened he suddenly remembered some business and he didn't finish his sentence he just left and this section ends on peace descended on the assaulted air I feel like it's very relatable. I feel like we've all been in these situations where we finally, you know, have that moment of, ah, the assaulted air now has some peace. Do you think this assaulted air is worse than like really loud um, noises like, I don't know, music or traffic or like, you know, when you're, when you're in a room with a thousand people talking, mm. they may all be talking about really good stuff, but... Um, <laughs> It's still like an assault to your ears, especially if it's a small room with no windows and doors. Uh, you know, they're all closed. What do you do? You think there's a difference between just one person speaking and, you know, the usual regular chaos of loudness that we may experience in our day-to-day -day lives? Hmm. Oh. Mike, <clears throat> maybe it's the noise, but also the vibe a little bit. He he calls this person the egotist at some point right and mm. and he i don't know because maybe because his intention is just to go there and be heard by someone and just talk about something that they're clearly not interested in and maybe that's that's an assault on their peace in some way mm. yeah yeah exactly um and then we find ourselves on to another sort of section in this section. I like this part of the chapter because it feels like it's sort of split into three and each has their own thing to give. So we find ourselves at a temple and uh, Guruji says that he was walking alone uh, by the railway station and he you know, was standing by this temple and there was this group of men with these drums and the cymbals and they were you know, violently reciting a chant. And he says how he silently stood criticizing them inwardly. Now, there's quite a lot on, on this about uh, being critical of others. Before we get there, Mike. This reminded me a lot of when you when you walk through Oxford Street and you see Hare Krishna people walking through, right? It, it must have been a very similar scene, right? Or any any busy street anywhere in a big city. No. Yep. That is that is exactly the um, image that I had in mind, <clears throat> Mike. Mm. But um, I've seen uh, lots of um, um, smaller procession, well, smaller organisation with processions that are mm. equally equally loud and violent <laughs> in terms of their noise making and uh, mus musical or lack of musical capability. Um, but I I always thought that as well. Exactly what. Um, what Guruji, what young Makunda is is essentially saying, um, but um, but yeah, he's uh, obviously been corrected a bit later. So this is I I was in full sympathy. I still really am in full sympathy with Makunda with this. <laughs> yeah, we're we're going to see that he's not saying as much that the noise itself is what he's critiquing. So he goes on to say. Yeah. You know, it's like the element of devotion, right? So, if if you do see a lot of noise in the street, you know, um, I don't think uh, Mukunda uh, at the time would have protested that. It's more, as Mike mentioned before, about the vibe. It's all about the vibe. Undevotional, yeah. Oh, exactly. Um, and there's a, a really useful section in the Bhagavad Gita about criticism it's chapter 16 verses 1 to 3 and um, we're going to read a bit of it out uh, this is Guruji's commentary on that section so Priyank would you like to start sure absence of fault finding and calmly hastens one spiritual evolution by freeing the mind from concentration on weaknesses of others to focus wholly on the full-time job of bettering oneself. A person who, like a detective, is busy observing the shortcomings of others gets a false conviction of superiority 
either that he himself is free from those blemishes or is otherwise qualified to appraise others. A critical person rarely perfects his own life. A habitual critic is like a fly that sits on the moral sores of others. A true devotee, like a bee, sips the honey of good qualities from the heats of his companions. That's meant to be hearts. That that was a typo. Mike, would you like to carry on? Yeah. Jesus said, judge not, that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with a measure ye, uh, ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why behold, beholdest thou the mote that is thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, the beam is in thine eye, in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Evil-minded disparagers, gossipers, and slanderers embrace the false notion that they may that they can make themselves taller by cutting off the heads of others. On the contrary, there is no greater diminishment of character than in such behavior. Backbiters offend the gods in others and in themselves. The virtuous unassumingly uplift others along with their own rise to heights above the small meannesses of lesser fellow beings. A person who takes pleasure in slander and backbiting never knows the happiness of helping others by wise counsel and encouragement. Renunciation discourages and angers the wrongdoer. In their hearts, most men are aware of their infirmities and moral sores. These cannot be healed by caustic irritants of castation but by, only by the soothing self of love. Nobody trusts those who spread evil instead of good. The gossips, the busybodies, the uh, detectors of others' frailties. The Lord does not publicly expose anyone's shortcomings, but gives all men a conscience and the chance to correct themselves in the privacy of their soul. Jesus advised the would-be executioners of an adulteress when they were about to stone her. He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. The accusers, remembering their own transgressions, slunk away. Great-hearted persons are ever ready, like Christ, to free the sinner by love and to spare condemnation. lots to take away i personally really loved the line backbiters offend the god in others and in themselves yeah i really radiate with all of that and um i've had to um work on myself because i quite uh critical <laughs> i've been trying to be less critical but um uh, i also recall uh, sorry to that end i've been um using that uh, affirmation as I radiate sympathy and goodwill to others, I open the channel for God's love to come to me and divine love is the magnet that attracts all blessedness. And it seems to have been really working for me, that affirmation. That's the first time I've really tried to use affirmations and uh, I've been using it for about two years now. And I have noted the change in my own mentality where I would instantly criticize that before, whereas now, you know, withhold holding it back shall we say so the first step is the uh, first step is achieved now i need to get into the second step where i can be sympathetic as opposed to just uh suppressing criticism 
I think I would correct you there, Priyank. Go to, for it. To your benefit. Because I think you're doing yourself a disservice there. And just to highlight, but um, because maybe somebody, you know, somebody else listening might be thinking the same thing. But um what I took from this in general is that it's judgment, you know, being a critical person rarely a critical person rarely perfects his own life. Um but I think you're level on your criticism of yourself and others. So in this instance, what I've read from the passages here is that one who surely merely focuses on the external um, world uh, and not not themselves. Um, and never have I ever thought criticism from, from you levied towards me, for example, Brent was said in, in the wrong light, in a judgmental light. So I think just to go back to it, it's, you know, what we were talking about, it's the vibe, you know, it's the intent, it's the the real, it's the energy, the, 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 um, the love behind it that really counts as well. So it's a nice golden thread that we're pulling from the conversation. Mm. And it feels, it feels like in this chapter that, is quite justified in feeling critical because you know he goes on to say you know it's because they're using the lord's divine name so undevotionally and so mechanically um <clears throat> and guruji does tell us you know not to do our prayers mechanically or you know it's very important but even in that we we learn a lesson from master mahashai because in that moment, as he was thinking these thoughts about these these men, Master Mahashai comes and he rapidly approaches him and he says, um, he asks, you know, you know, why are you here? And he ignores the question, um, but answers his thought, which is another reminder that he is very, very in tune and all-knowing, uh, as he is in such communion with the divine. And he says, isn't it true, little sir, that the beloved's name sounds sweet from all lips, ignorant or wise? That's beautiful. I, I don't think this is a lesson that really Yogananda had to learn in this incarnation, but it's just something he does for us again. Because it's so easy, right? You come, you see something, you don't feel the devotion instantly maybe also because they're outside in a busy street hard to display devotion in a setting like that it's much easier when you're in a quiet temple somewhere and then and then those kind of thoughts come and that's why he describes it in this way and and also the reaction and he he doesn't mind sharing this from his own life saying that he had those feelings coming in but also the wisdom that master mahashaya gave him and I think that's so useful because like you guys said earlier, like in our own lives, this, this happens. Maybe this is often a first instinct that we have, but it's not the right one in this case or most of the times. Slightly different um, tangent from what we're discussing. But you know, this um, miraculous appearance of um, Master Mahasha in this in this instant and he's rapidly approaching him this is quite similar to when in Mejida the Mahashaya you know just appeared out of appeared out of thin air to a young Mukunda and um you know corrected him about some of the childish things that he was doing mm -hmm. and also with um Bhagavati when he was criticizing uh, or Mahashaya or, or you know doubting him then he appeared so like this kind of um you might call it an intercession um i was just what this this one is obviously very very miraculous and blatantly obvious you can see it in front of your eyes but i was thinking how many times our guru must do this for us in in the subtle realms without us um being aware um you know when for example we're stopped in our tracks from going down a certain path or if failure meets us I and mean, how often have we found that that failure was actually a blessing or you know we, we lose money or you know we 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 lose out on something that we really wanted but then something better comes about so like all these um all these you know really really not obvious ways good a guru must uh, intercede for our for our own spiritual um progress um i was listening uh, to a to a talk by brother achalananda um just today 
about faith and he was saying um you know like it's amazing how how much devotees miss out on because they don't ask and it's not that you should ask for um whimsical whimsical things but what that really is talking about is asking for you know the spiritual the glories you know for god to be revealed to you for you to develop uh, intuition for you to be less critical or judgmental all these like spiritual spiritual things that we should ask for but we don't and if we do ask perhaps the guru will be more inclined to uh, to give them that's a really good reminder for all of us thank you i always get uh, caught up between that and just praying for the gratitude like god knows exactly what i need and yeah. you're still in it sort of thing so i never know how far should you go into you know either um you know, do you spe specific do you make it specific or do you sort of make it general thanks for all the blessings but chris god knows that you need self-realization yeah do you not yet ask for that yeah but how does it come is it stepping stones or is it no but you don't are you but you leave that to god but you still ask for it don't you mm. the stepping stone will be uh, manifested in whichever way god reveals them to you but mm. the asking and uh, setting setting your like direction um is down <clears throat> to down to you and that's the one of the benefits of that prayer i suppose I, I guess it also depends on what you want. I, I, I've seen Guruji write and monks counsel in the way that if you want to really manifest, achieve a certain thing in the world, you have to very specifically pray for that, right? Mm -hmm. But then Guruji often says, like, if, if you want something, pray for this or that, but it shows more faith to pray, you can anticipate all my needs, just sustain me according to thy will. And I feel I feel like that's probably the right prayer for the right situation, but but also yeah, in the end of the day, Guruji knows best, I guess. So I I think that that I would hold that one higher than the other one. In the end of the day, the ego can only it's quite short-sighted in some sense, yeah. Like you're an intellect, yeah. intellect, you're yeah. Get these things. If we if we think about what were we praying for ten years ago, do we really want those prayers to come true? Or? I want that toy. <laughs> I don't want this anymore. <laughs> cancel, cancel. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a really good way to segue back into the chapter, but I feel like there's no good way otherwise to just cut throat, come back uh, in with it. <laughs> you have a good tangent. Yeah. <laughs> we do. <laughs> So yes, uh, Mukunda and Master Mahashaya there, and um, Master Mahashaya. Do you just... think we were we were all spellbound by our own by our own monologues there, going away? I'm sitting there thinking, how am I going to do this really smoothly? <laughs> there was no smooth way. Do you have a code Sorry. word? Right spellbound. Yeah. Use spellbound as a code word. You yes. guys are a bit spellbound right now. Spellbound. Yeah. Spellbound. Okay. <laughs> So, yes, he's just given this very wise counsel to Guruji. And then uh, Guruji explains how he you know, puts his arm around him really affectionately. And um, that to me was really beautiful because, it, again, there's so many divine reminders here. But, you know, th there's always that love, that pure love between um, the two. And it's the same pure love that the way that I absorbed it while I was reading is you know it's the same pure love that I should be emanating to to all and and that we all should be doing you know it's no, no matter what someone is we still have that divine love and friendship for them and we can still display that um yeah Priyank. yeah um and that that loving arm comes after He's almost a little bit rebuked, Mukunda, isn't he? And he's, he's saying that ignorant or wise, essentially, you know, the, God's name sounds sweet to the ignorant or wise. Uh, ignorant or wise. So if, um, in the previous exa example where we said, um, you know, Krishna was saying that he's impartial. Um, so, you know, he's impartial to impartial. And he would have put his arms around Duryodhana or Arjuna in the previous, previous example. 
um, so which is which is quite nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and then uh, Guruji says that he found himself carried on his magic carpet, the merciful presence. What does this is the first time I think he's referred to God as the merciful presence. I can't um, mm. recall him doing that in other writings either. Could stand to be corrected. But um, why why merciful presence here and merciful and presence are both capitalized? Um, mm. Because um, if, we're, if we're referring it to it, the previous um, sentence he was saying, essentially, um, you know, uh, rebuking Makunda, and he was saying that you know everyone god loves everyone essentially and i suppose that would be merciful um, but it's a very beautiful way to describe god or the presence of god as, a, as the merciful presence chris yeah i read into it maybe that as you guys said it's not that yogananda actually has these lessons to learn in this lifetime that he's sort of putting on this play for us to, to learn from ourselves. So what he's doing is wrongly critiquing um, and judging, right? And so I observed then that Master Mahasai was the one to put his arm around him in a very sweet and, and loving way, which is manifesting that aspect of God. Um, but it is there manifested and for us to, you know, witness um, because Makunda would have, in this instance, made the mistake. So God's mercy is there for us, you know. So that's that's how I read it. Mm, yeah. Right. Um, we also um, hear in this chapter that Master Mahashaya is very much in line with the, the mother aspect of God, the divine mother aspect. And he doesn't want to teach as an authoritarian, but as a loving uh, mother, right? And I feel like this is a perfect display of that, where where he tells him what his his critique, and then he gives him a he gives him a hug. So. Mm, that's beautiful. That's really lovely. Do you, do you think uh, if the sort of opposite to that would have been true if he slapped him on the head? <laughs> Would it be a merciful presence? <laughs> no, wouldn't that be the uh, Heavenly Father aspect? That's the Heavenly Father, is it? Okay. <laughs> but you know, this bit also reminded me about the power of good company as well. And, you know, in this instance, the, the power of the company of Master Mahashai literally took Mukunda to God, to the merciful presence. So I was looking up different things that Guruji had written about um, the benefits of spiritual company. And there was this um, really lovely piece on the SRF website from Guruji with different quotes. So we're going to read a few of those out in case it's helpful to anybody. Mike, would you like to start, please? Um, one second. Okay. Uh, yeah, someone else want to read it? Yeah, I can read it. Those who wish to perfect themselves are urged by the masters to keep in close association with others of similar nature in order to strengthen their right aspirations. We become like the people we mingle with, not only through their conversation, but through the silent magnetic vibration that emanates from them. When we come into the the range of their magnetic mag magnetism, we are affected. Oh, Priyank, you're on mute. Why shouldn't you strengthen your own vibrations through fellowship with people seeking self-realization and by group meditation with them? This practice will fortify your own spiritual convictions. You will find that many seemingly insuperable barriers in your life will crumble and dissolve in the waters of meditation. Your devotion and love for God will commingle with devotion and love for others. Divine bliss will radiate from you, helping all persons you meet. Mm. And it's certainly true, isn't it? 
I notice within myself when I'm around certain people, either the, the real self comes forth more or goes further away. And um, the power of company has certainly been really uh, prominent in, in my journey. So I'm very grateful to be sitting here with you all, actually. And we're grateful for you to sit with us as well. Uh, mm. We we energize our uh, focuses um, both here and in the center through your um, fresh approach and attitude as well. Um, but this, um, we had a workshop about this, didn't we, Lauren? Mm -hmm. About the importance of uh, rubbing shoulders with the right people spiritually as opposed to in business. Mm. You, what do you think? They're they're different. The spiritually in business we should not try to rub uh, no no I was using the you know how you know in, in the, the metaphor in business where you're rubbing shoulders with the right people uh, that applies equally in your spiritual endeavors it would appear as from a workshop we had in terms of uh, enhancing your own uh, you know, meditations <clears throat> it's a very blessed opportunity to be there you know hearing the monks talk about that um anyway we digress <laughs> slightly but not too much uh on to the next section of this chapter and it feels like it kind of jumps to to a new feel and uh potentially even a different day it says that this question came one afternoon so from that, I deduce perhaps a, a different moment in, in Mayak time. And Master Mahashai asks Mukunda if he'd like to see some bioscopes. Yeah, Priyank. Or the previous sentence was that, you know, he was, Master Mahashai took him on his ma um, magic carpet of um, merciful presence to the merciful presence. Perhaps it is from that um, state that he um entertained showing him some bioscopes and you know when he says the word bioscopes um although they would have certainly been speaking bengali most of their conversations um i think this word would have been in english he would say he would have said bengali words and then the english word bioscope um and i checked the hindi autobiography as well and it's the english word for bioscope and um, also the, you know, later later in the in the footnote, we've got what bioscope means. And there's a rare definition, which is a view of life, that which gives such a view. And that's a, like a rare definition, apparently. Um, and hence, Master Marshall's choice of words was peculiarly justified. So you're going to use it in a couple of different contexts. Yeah. Mike? Did, do you speak any Bengali or did you just go through the book and look for the word bioscope? Page page. Um, in Hindi, in Hindi. So I just looked up this. Hindi, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Did they write bioscope in Devanagari or in? in... Yeah, in, Dev in, Dev in Devanagari. So it's like bioscope. Oh, wow. Uh, like that. Cool. Yeah. We're very fortunate that you can read Hindi, Priyank, and able to delve into that side of things. Um, so, yeah, thank you. So, yeah, so Mas Mahashai asked this question and um, Guruji says how this question was mystifying from, you know, this master who was reclusive, which is a little hint at his, his nature, not so much out in the world. Uh, and he said yes. And, you know, they briskly walked to the garden of Calcutta University. And uh, they there was a bench near a pond. And Master Mahashai... I'm going to read this out. He said, let's sit here for a few minutes. My master asked me to meditate whenever I saw an expanse of water. And then uh, Priyank, what does he go on to say next? So he says, its placidity reminds us of the vast calmness of God as all things can be reflected in water for the whole universe is mirrored in the lake of the cosmic mind. Yeah, and then he ends with, so my Guru Deva often said. 
And this is, there's so much in this tiny, seemingly tiny paragraph. The, the first to me that jumped out was, you know, he's still following his master's instructions. He's still being faithful to his guru. And that's exactly how we should be. You know, it doesn't matter what level of consciousness you are. Mm -hmm. All the all the great ones still followed their master right until the end. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it even goes in those moments, those seemingly smaller moments of, you know, oh, I've seen some water, I'm going to meditate by it because that's what master told me to do. I, I found it interesting because didn't they establish earlier that he was not his guru? So, but he still calls him Guru Deva. Um, you no, know, this is um, Master Mahasha is speaking about his guru, uh, Ram Krishna. Oh, Paramahansa. I see. I thought he was. I, think, I thought he was following. Also. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I so thought I thought he was following Master Mahasha to meditate by the pond. Mm -hmm. Okay. But thank you, thank you for bringing that up, Mike. Yeah, because someone else got a section. That. No, no, because I've got a section from the Gospel of Ram Krishna Paramahansa that he was actually mm. referring to. So this is so he's now deduced, uh, uh, you know, this kind of philosophy of you know looking out into the expanse of water. But I've got the exact scenario where, you know, Ram Krishna talked about it when when he was with him. So, but firstly, this expanse of water um, is uh, quite a cool concept. But the I think we all like looking at water, don't we? <laughs> or the sky. Mm. Um, and there's there's literally cosmic chants that are specifically for both of those things. I, you know, I am I am the sky mother, or I am frozen sky, or I am the bubble, make me the sea. So there's these there's these you know, really lovely chants. But um he um in gospel of Ram Krishna Paramhansa. Uh, Ram Krishna Paramahansa answers the question how a Gnana Yogi meditates on the water or the sky. Gnana is um, one who's uh, you know seeks wisdom, um, you know yoga through wisdom, and um, or the intellect. And he says, um, Ram Krishna says, water is everywhere. All the regions above and below are filled with water. Man, like a fish, is swimming joyously in that water. In real meditation. You will actually see all this. Take the case of the infinite ocean. There is no limit to its water. Suppose a pot is immersed in it. There is water both inside and outside the pot. The Jnana Yogi sees that both inside and outside there is nothing but Paramatma. Then what is this pot? It is I consciousness. Because of the pot, the water appears to be divided into two parts. Because of the pot, you seem to perceive an inside and an outside. One feels that way as long as this pot of I exists. When the I disappears, what is remains. That cannot be described in words. Think of the infinite Akasha and a bird flying there joyfully spreading its wings. Its joy is limitless. The devotees listened with great attention to this word, to these words about meditation. Lots mm -hmm. of um, beautiful elements uh, that Guruji also has made his own, hasn't he? Like, when this I shall die, then will when will I know who am I? And um, yeah, lots, lots of others. I'm... I'm the bubble, make me to see. Yeah, right. I am yeah. the sky. Mother, I am the sky. He really talks <laughs> a lot about water, doesn't he? Um, I mean, it's not waves. no surprise. Waves. As, you know, yeah, Love waves, the, the waves. ocean. Yeah, yeah. It was by Encinitas, so that may have been some inspiration with the Pacific Ocean. Um, yeah, Mike. Yeah, it's uh, good that you mentioned Encinitas because Gurji's first temple in the US had instead of an altar, it had just a window out in the Pacific Ocean. And there, there is something magical about water. And even if you're not spiritual, people love water, right? Like, look at real estate prices next to a lake or next to the ocean. They're always much higher than, than elsewhere. So there's definitely mm -hmm. something that is very pleasing to the, the body or the mind or both. Or the soul. The soul, yeah. Definitely. Um, Guruji actually has some more well, endless things to say about the ocean. 
Well, I, I picked out mm, two for us to read today. <laughs> Just you can, two. You can count. <laughs> I can. <laughs> I was looking at my laptop screen, you see, and there was lots of things going on. <laughs> so I thought, oh, hang on. Um, Chris, would you like to read the first one about the wave? Yeah. The wave is the same as the ocean, though it is not the whole ocean. So each wave of creation is a part of the eternal ocean spirit. The ocean can exist without the waves, but the waves cannot exist without the ocean. Mike? If the little wave knew that behind it is the great ocean, it would say, I am the ocean. You should realize that just behind your consciousness is the ocean of God. Mm. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah, it's not nothing to add. That's the beauty of mm -hmm. Guruji's words. You don't need to add anything. You just need to absorb. Uh, yeah, Mike. I think water might also be used often in this way because it's a good metaphor of you know you take a glass of water and you put it in a in a pitcher and you don't know anymore which of that water was in the cup before it just mixes perfectly and and then probably in the same way when the soul goes merges back into god then it will it will be like that as well that that might be one reason why it's often used Mm, yeah and it's used by so many different people even as we see here you know Guruji's talking about it so is Master Mahashai they're all using these you know ocean analogies um and I just wanted to, to have another nod just to round this little bit off because um Master Mahashai nods to his guru again and says ah oh, you know so my guru Deva often said and it's it's that um it's going back to that following of the guru. And there was um, a line that I read from uh, the SRF website. It's called The Role of a Guru in One's Spiritual Search. And it said, he who faithfully follows a true guru becomes like him. For the guru helps to elevate the disciple to his own level of realization. Very nice. And... You know, here he's um, Master Mahashaya refers to him, his guru as Guru Deva. <clears throat> mm. The footnote, footnote um, says, divine describes Guru Deva as divine teacher, the customary Sanskrit term for one's spiritual preceptor. Deva, God combined with Guru, illumined teacher, indicates profound reverence and respect. I have rendered it in English as simply master. In quotes, and so this is Paramahansa Yogananda writing a translation for Guru Deva as Master, and um, the official SRF line for um, what Master, because Master is quite uh, an imposing word for a newcomer to our centres and services, but we obviously use it very often in Master Service and Master This and Master That, Master's Love, um, for a, for a, someone in this modern age, a Master is not a very kind of friendly word. <laughs> so SRF's official line for the definition of why we use master is because he, not that he is your master, it is that he is a master of himself and is able to, you know, be in, in touch with God. But Guruji himself has translated this as, um, you know, he's said it's actually the word is Gurudeva, which is... Um, a much, I think, a much more beautiful um, translation for uh, what master, why we use master word master. And I think uh, we should, well, I'm certainly going to, whenever someone asks me, why are you saying the word master? I'm going to say it's a translation of Guru Deva. And Deva means God combined with Guru, you know, the illumined teacher. I think that's much nicer. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that, Priyank. Thank you. Um, so yes, we are, they have meditated on the water. And it seems for a short time because uh, Guruji says, soon we entered a university hall. So perhaps they weren't there for a long time. Um, 
and there, there was this lecture going on. I'm going to sort of condense this down uh, slightly, this story. But if you want to read in super, super detail, definitely read read the book. <laughs> um, so <laughs> we hope. So yes, there's a lecture going on and uh, Guruji says it was abysmally, abysmally dull. <laughs> and they had, you know, these slides with illustrations, which are, you know, very uninteresting. And, you know, he's thinking, he's, he's getting quite impatient, but he doesn't want to show it on his face because he doesn't want to hurt Master Mahashai's feelings. And he doesn't want to re reveal the boredom, you know. But you can just picture this scene, Master Mahashai, you know, leans towards him uh, confidentially, so it's written here, and says, you know, I, I see you don't like this bioscope. Yeah, yeah, I've mentioned it to the Divine Mother, and she's in full sympathy with us both. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, again, it's like he, he's always in that communion, isn't he, with the Divine Mother, and he's always in uh, union with Makunda's thoughts. Like, he knows exactly what's happening. So, yeah, she's in full sympathy with us both, so I'm guessing Master Mahashai also feels equally bored <laughs> by this. And... Um, he relays that the, the Divine Mother and said the electric lights will now go out and won't be relit until we have a chance to leave the room. And as he finished the sentence, the exact thing happened. The hall went into darkness. It was plunged into darkness. And, uh, you know, the professor who was speaking was, you know, in a bit, uh, you know, it was a bit astonished. Astonished, and um, the the two Mas Mahashai and Makunda had you know crossed the threshold. They're already out the door, and they, were, they glance back, and suddenly everything again was illuminated. So how amazing! Literally within that moment of him finishing that sentence of relaying the message from Divine Mother, it happens. Mm, it is quite amazing, and you know this um, this style of narrative um, of um... Divine Mother being in sympathy of you know of, with us, and then some set of circumstances happening, so it resolves the predicament of the young Mukunda and Master Mahashai. Um, I was so inspired uh, by this that um, I thought to when I was in India, when I was reading the autobiography of a yogi, I thought um, you know let me look for these kind of instances in, in my own in my own life. So I I journaled in quite minute detail um and i i made like a really really big deal about the most minute coincidences that would happen that would conspire to make make things work out the way the way they needed to so i've got like a whole book of stuff um really minute stuff nothing like nothing insane like we know we're, we're about to read in the next episode but um things like this i've got loads of um lots and lots of examples and then i and I sent like it's, it's literally maybe a hundred pages of stuff, uh, like a diary. And I sent it to my mum after I finished it because um, I, I was away for quite a while. And she, she, uh, she's there's no way she was able to read my English because it was such that was such bad uh, handwriting. But I think she was she enjoyed the the present all the same. Oh, that's lovely that you send that to your mum. <laughs> it's really sweet. Um. Yeah, journaling and writing down uh, what we experience. I think one of the monks actually um, recommended it in one of a talk once, um, specifically talking about spiritual experiences, you know, writing them down so we can relive them again and keep them ever alive in our consciousness. And there is definitely something to that. So, very yes. important. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, although sometimes, you know, how can one put into words uh, some experiences? But, uh, you know, we, we try. But it's <laughs> like... better to do that than to rely on your memory of that. Because mm. <laughs> your memory is, firstly, your memory is fickle, so you may just completely forget about that instance. But uh, having this here, you, you'll be able to use this, the catalyst to go back and remember, even if the words aren't perfect. You can, you know, say where you were, what you were doing, what the circumstances were. And then that should hopefully take you back. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, journaling like this is amazing, especially if you do it like like Priyam just mentioned in a in a in a positive way. Like you have like a very positive experience, 
because I feel like once you write it down, it becomes more real and it goes somehow also into a different compartment of memory that is more lasting. And when I sometimes read some of my old journals, I, I have to laugh a lot because I'm like, ah, I remember that. So, I, because you don't just remember what you wrote, you also remember what you were thinking when you wrote it, right? It becomes a memento of time. And that's, that's why it's great. Um, I, I just wanted to go back quickly to the scene because I was like, if, I, if I'm in a lecture and I don't like it, I just leave, right? But that's not what he what he did. He didn't want to make a scene like that, right? He wanted to be very respectful. So Divine Mother had to turn off the electricity for the whole university for them to be able to leave. I, f I found that a, a really nice detail that they were so respectful of that. I wonder on this point about, um, let's say, the conversation that Master Maisha would have had with Divine Mother and what you perceive how this could have happened because I think it's easy to think it's a literal conversation how we are talking now like Divine Mother would have been manifest in some way to Master Maishai communicating with words but it's such a slow way to transfer information you know this way that we're communicating as opposed to intuitive knowing so Yogananda talks about, you know, developing your intuition is a very, very powerful thing that we should we should be doing. But actually, you might get confused if you take it too literally, this sort of conversation as such, um, and, and wait for words to be spoken to until you really listen. But actually, I, I wonder what you guys think, but my impression is that it's so much more subtle. It's like an unpacking of a parcel of information given to you that something you know this will occur and it's your ability to intuitively unpackage that parcel and and so you have to work with that it's not it's not going to come as clear as this maybe my words to you now might come it's going to be something a lot more subtle this intuitive knowing and that is the conversation that god is god is having with us all the time but we just over overlook it all, you know constantly so yeah, i have just wondered what your perception of this moment that master Masha had with divine mother because it could it could be as a child like you know a child might say oh you know divine mother you know i want her to talk to me and they would be expecting this with these words to come out verbatim as as we would talk but maybe not maybe maybe Who knows? Hard, hard to know yeah God is very personal, isn't he? So we all speak with him so differently and he responds so differently to each of us because we are his different expressions, right? So, you know, it might be that, yeah, some people speak to God like, like a child does and other people have that more of a, a knowing sense. Um, that's beauty, isn't it? It'd be great if it was a childlike because it'd be so much easier <laughs> if you just heard this booming voice all the time talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's actually a good note to end it on but prank yes yeah i'm just going to extend this journal um Go discussion on. just a little bit um i remember i remember i told you a few weeks ago that um i picked up this really old diary 2000 1994 and it was getting thrown away mm. and i thought i can find a good use for this so um uh like I said to you guys that I was going to write um, just on each of the days of the year, I was going to write something inspirational that Guruji had, um, had uh, you know, given me through the teachings of that day or that week. Um, and then I also thought, okay, last time I did this, my handwriting was so appalling, you know, the, the book that I gave my mum. So I bought, I, my sister gave me a calligraphy pen and here is my first attempt at uh, calligraphy. So I've, I've had a go at how to go at the, how to go at scripts or oh, you can't really see that kind for of those who are listening it yeah. is actually quite neat <laughs> yeah much neater than my regular handwriting so then i'm going to fill hopefully the rest of the book like with uh, equally pretty very nice guruji's quotes and sayings that'd be very illuminating as well i'm sure when you just you know flick to one it will probably come up exactly what you need in that moment 
Yeah. As it always does. <laughs> yeah. The beauty of the living word. So unless anyone else has any other points to add or anything like that, we will end the episode here. Thank you all so much for being here today, for sharing all your insights and looking forward to next time. Take care. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.